Welcome, welcome to this edition of the COVID-19 Provcast. My name is Brendan. I'm Court. And we are here again with our resident MDiv, Mr. Ty Gaston. Howdy. And we are at part two of what we are calling Genesis Mysteries. So somebody want to explain why we need a part two to Genesis Mysteries? Well, because Genesis has too many mysteries. <laughs> it's got it's a lot in Genesis, 50 chapters uh, in the book of Genesis, lots of stories. Uh, it's also full of stories that are, you know, filled with the supernatural, uh, lots of things going on that are not typical of our everyday life. And um, and also Genesis, because it's the book of beginnings, I think lays down a foundation for the Christian worldview. Yeah. yeah. So we decided to do two. Plus, we thought it'd be interesting. Yep, and last week we talked about uh, old earth and new earth creations. We talked a little bit about the flood, um, amongst a few other things. So be sure to go back and listen to that if you haven't yet, um, because it is good to to take this in a little bit more of a chronological order as far as the events as, as they happen in the book of Genesis. But today uh, we're going to be talking about a few things. We hope that you've had a great week. We hope that this quarantine has been um, at least somewhat restful for you, if, if that's a thing. Uh, I know that uh, we've all had a little bit more time to maybe foster some intentional relationships and work on some things. Um, So we're going to get right into it here. And we're going to start with possibly one of the most broad strokes topics you can, and and that is the flood. And so I'll pose a question and you guys can jump in. So when God flooded the earth, first of all, um, we can affirm that God flooded the earth. And it says that in Genesis Are we talking about all the entire earth as we know it? Are we talking about Pangea? Are we talking about the Middle East? I'd love to for you guys just weigh in on on what what that means. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I just I I don't see any other interpretation that it that it could mean anything different. I mean, just because just because of some of the consistency surrounding the topic of the flood, which is that. First of all, God said he would never do it again, so it, it couldn't be a low-cal flood. Uh, it, it has to be uh, a flood of the earth. Now, with Pangea, I mean, there's there's some science that supports it, but at the end of the day, I, I don't necessarily know where I stand on that idea. I think I just, I do I do agree with the interpretation that the flood had to have been global uh, because it, it was meant to... Um, Prove a point, start over in some ways. I mean, it, the scripture says that God was uh, upset with how, um, yeah, you know, with how man was living his life, and so God, in some ways, had a had a re restart of Genesis one. Not that God made a mistake, but uh, I think there's a there's a different turn of the narrative there. And so, flooding the earth at large is a yeah, I, I think is the only interpretation of that. I don't know, Court. What do you think? Well, I. Um, let me think here. So I think Pangea idea is probably what I believe most like personally is that in case you don't know what Pangea is, Pangea is like when you're like, I don't know, third grade or second grade, one, (laughs) one of our geography classes, I remember they gave us all the continents and had us uh, color them and then cut them out and then see if you could make them into like basically fit them like puzzle pieces together and kind of showed how there's this theory that there was a time where all of the land was puzzle pieced together. And that through, uh, you know, many years of time and erosion, you know, this is obviously in school, that these uh, land masses broke off. And, th- and there's some scientific uh, theory to back this up, you know, that there's there's movement in the land. You know, you, get, you always get the joke about the fault lines, the San, the San Andreas fault lines in California, that yeah. California could break off, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I most likely believe that, yes, it was a worldwide flood, Pangea was together, and that Tower of Babel, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit, Tower of Babel, earthquake was a time of breaking. Yeah. Uh, that it was a massive earthquake that created some, some breaking. So um, now just just to, to play devil's advocate, there's other, like Ty mentioned, that he doesn't think that the, the local flood is legitimate uh, on the basis of you know biblical evidence that God says he will never flood the earth again in this way. And so, you know, how do we explain, for instance, Hurricane Harvey and the floods, the local flood that we experienced, if it was just a local flood? And and that's on the basis of this theory that because everybody lived much closer together in Mesopotamia at the time, that a global flood would have looked like a much smaller landmass being flooded yeah, yeah. Uh, to kill off the earth. But I think <clears throat> no matter what you believe, like the flood, it has some really 
important theological underpinnings. And those would be that sin had gotten so pervasive yeah. in the earth so quickly yeah. <laughs> that God's response to that had to be quick and it had to be swift. Yeah. And that you could see it as, uh, you could see it as, oh, well, why would God do something so atrocious? Or you could see it for what the Bible presents it as, which is an act of mercy against everybody killing each other and basically everything devolving into uh, a complete mess. Yeah. You know, think anarchy to the nth degree, and that's what the world was going to, and God basically purged that in order to yeah. start over with Noah and his family. Um, and I think the other, like, big theological underpinning is uh, is judgment. Like, judgment is a massive theme in the Bible, is it righteous? Is it is it okay? You know, we live in a in a day that the idea of of you know judgment or God judging uh, human beings is not welcomed. Hmm. And yet, I think that in order for us to have a God who is all good, we also have to have a God who is just. Yes. And the flood is God's judgment. It's His just response to the the darkness the the evil that had corrupted uh, the whole world. That's what Genesis 6, like 1 through 6, actually talks about. It's like those first few verses. It's just the evil had gotten so bad yeah. that that was God's response. <clears throat> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some, some numbers here at everybody because... Um, like when, the book of numbers? You can throw it at me? Well, no. <laughs> oh. No, I'm not well-versed not, not, not well enough in the book of numbers to throw it at you okay. the way that I would desire to. But um, I'm going to throw some statistics here uh, because I think that, you know, Court, you talked about the flood coming because of sin and just how uh, massive this flood would have been uh, and, the, and the need for the, the extremity of it. So uh, if you hear some typing, it's because I was looking up some stats here. Okay, so two, two facts here that I think are important. So I just I just Googled how how many gallons of water it would take to fill up the Grand Canyon. All right. So this is not even talking about the world, but basically um, Google tells me that because the Grand Canyon covers about 1,904 square miles, the canyon is capable of holding one to two quadrillion gallons of water. All right. So if you poured all the river <laughs> water on Earth into the Grand Canyon, it still would only be about half full. Wow. All right, so to take it a step further, um, if Niagara Falls was pouring into the canyon, Google tells me here that it would take 69 years, six months, and two weeks to flow in to fill up the canyon. But wow. obviously that's not going to happen. So, I mean, that's crazy. So to think about how in the world in 40 days and 40 nights yeah. can this world flood? Yeah. And I guess it also pairs with, are we talking, you know, this old earth creation at this point too, new earth creation. We're talking the Grand Canyon. Did God create the Grand Canyon within all of its, you know, 1,200 acre glory? I'm assuming that at some point, you know, maybe the canyons have changed over the year, over the thousands of years. But, um, I mean, that, it brings up a good question. Like, how, how is this possible? Yeah, I think, so, a couple thoughts. Um, I think we have to be careful not that we don't pursue knowledge. I mean, I, I genuinely love it. I want to figure things out. That's why I went and got my MDiv. It's why I read this stuff on my on my own time because I, I want to know. But we have to be careful not to try and like logically explain away some of the supernatural. Um, it's like when you you'll get movies like uh, like Hillary Swank in, in The Reaping, when she's this scientist that tries to explain away the ten plagues. Mm-hmm. At, at the end of the day. Like what you're trying to do is discount God's ability to to alter any kind of natural laws that he desires that he created. And so like, yeah, it doesn't seem reasonable that God could flood the earth in 40 days and 40 nights, at least from a, a logical standpoint. But at the same time, like it also doesn't seem reasonable that water could turn to blood. It doesn't seem reasonable that uh, that Jesus says in John 10 that he raises his own life from the dead. Like there's a, there are a lot of things that, uh, that seem unreasonable, but we, we serve a God that is above what we think is natural. He's supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thought that I've always had to, tr- to try and 
to try and rationalize it, which I agree with you that if we do that too often, that we're just explaining away that, which is necessary, like it's unnecessary right. to do to an extent. But in verse 11 of, of Genesis 7, when it talks about the flood, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened. Mm-hmm. So it was not just a rain. Yeah, This was not just a storm coming from the sky. That like there was water coming from below, yeah, and and I don't, I mean, just to think that through, like the 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 shelves of water underneath the earth are bursting forth to flood from below, and and listen, there was like a the the most recent Hollywood movie with Russell Crowe was awful theologically, by the way, just all sorts of terrible. You had like thieves sneaking (laughs) on the ark and stuff. I mean, just like terrible, terrible. But one thing that I really liked was also there were like rock giants in that movie weren't there yes so anyway i don't even yeah, want to start drama bro you gotta have but it. <laughs> uh one thing that i really appreciated is that they depicted the the fountains of the deep bursting forth yeah mm. and like gave you kind of like a visual representation of what that might look like for like the water to be coming up yeah and and if that were true if if, if whatever that would look like for 40 straight days yeah it would be such a catastrophic flood that it would terrify I mean, yeah, unbelievable to think about that. The fact that it would, yes, it rained for forty days and forty nights, but the, the, the I would, I would imagine the the ma- most massive part of the flood was what came from the fountains of the deep. Yeah, think about like a. I mean, this is a very small example and isn't like a. It may not even represent it clearly, but it's it. You get the idea. So what flooded Kingwood so bad in Hurricane Harvey was not the actual <laughs> rain itself, mm. but it was the fact that they opened up the dams. And that flooded the entire area. It ruined Kingwood yeah. because of it. And so, like, you had both rain from the top and rain from the bottom. And uh, I don't know. That's kind of like a, a life experience example. Yeah. For that. Well, I guess the the next question here is similar because, you know, you mentioned um, in Genesis just talking about the account of the flood. You know, right before it, we, we get this um, chapter 6, verse 4. It says, the Nephilim or the Nephilim depending on how you want to pronounce it, Uh-oh. Were, were on the earth in those days. <laughs> and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Um, and so, you know, in, in the Noah movie, uh, uh, someone stowed on the boat, right, which is just not. <laughs> they, Noah had a stowaway. So and I've also heard just, I guess, lore, if you will. Uh, I, can't, I honestly don't have the source, but that... Some people potentially believe that that's what happened with the Nephilim too, and that they hung on the side of the boat during the Great Deluge, which is just insane to think about, right? Because, it's actually impressive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but apparently it these would guys. Be men of renown. So I, my understanding, and you know, if you if you're listening out there here and you know that I'm wrong, that's fine. You don't need to text me and tell me I'm willing to no, be wrong. Do it. Just, I'll give you his number. Just uh, you know, the rock giants. In my understanding, I felt like were kind of like from Frozen Two. Rock giants in Noah were were kind of like a nod to like the Nephilim in a way. I felt like sorry, I have a daughter; she'd be happy. That I mean, I, I love Frozen too. Much music is better than Frozen One. Just saying that, but we're getting uh, derailed. I know, you know, and I could talk about <laughs> music in Frozen Two for forever because it's great. But we're not talking about that. So uh, I think I thought I felt like it was a little bit of a nod to the Nephilim there, even though it was completely kind of out of left field, and that there, there's nothing about Nephilim being rock giants in in Genesis. But um, I had heard also just kind of these um, thoughts that Nephilim were kind of giants as well. Do y'all know anything about these Nephilim? Nephilim? Yeah, I mean, there's there's really like two streams of thought. So you have like option one uh, that many people hold to, and that's that uh, this they are from the line of Seth. So Cain kills Abel, and then Adam and Eve have another son named Seth, and it, that's really that's legitimately the godly line that goes forward, and it's the idea that Seth's godlies that his godly descendants were they were intoxicated by the beauty of women that descended from Cain, and uh, they mar- they married those women who would furthermore reject God just like Cain did, and they would lead to greater wickedness, and um, you see this uh, it's pretty evident in Genesis four or five that's kind of the gen no pun intended, the genesis of it. Um, but in the, uh, but also like if you want to hold this view uh, in the old Testament, people are often referred to as sons of God, like they do in Genesis six, where they talk about, talk about the Nephilim. They, uh, they use that phrase in uh, 
uh, not that exact phrase, but something similar in Jeremiah 3.19, uh, in Deuteronomy 14.1, uh, the people are referred to, referred to as sons of the Lord, but they're, they're talking about sons of God. Uh, and also like, you know, if, if this view that the, this is, they are from the line of Seth, uh, or they, or at least the descendants from the line of Seth, then it would explain why God also forbid the Israelites from marrying any Canaanite women in Deuteronomy seven, just because of the the wickedness that took place. Uh, but I think the the oldest and for me uh, the most widely held and the one that I personally hold is that sons of God are uh, fallen angels. Hmm. Uh, that's that's the one that I hold hold to that. I think it's it was favored by most of the early church. Uh, you see it, and honestly, and this is really like the, one of the strongest evidences for this argument for me was that Genesis 6, 1 through 2, they contrast sons of God and daughters of man. And so it separates the two for me. Um, but I think for me, the most likely option, and I'm I'm willing to be open to this and willing to be wrong if that's the case. Um, I know one guy that I, I respect, uh, Wayne Grudem, he, he thinks it's from the line of Seth. Uh, but yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I, I hold it differently. And that's just because I think Peter, um, the apostle Peter and Jude, uh, they held this view. Uh, and so you see it in second Peter four through six and, uh, Jude five through seven. Uh, they compare these, these moments in Genesis and moments in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, where you also see angels, angelic activity. Um, they juxtapose those against one another. And I, I think it, it creates a more consistent uh, hermeneutic for me, which is why I think I hold to that second view. It also creates a bunch of problems, you know. That's like, sure. Because I agree with you. That's what I tend to think too. But I also understand why Grudem would say it. It's not a lot neat, more neat, yeah. to say that you have two different lines, Cain and Seth, mm-hmm. and that there's an inter there's an intermingling of the lines here that is has it has everything to do with like holiness, righteousness over against evil and sin. Yeah. Um, because if you have like, how are angels, uh, you know, it, whenever it uses the, the term, like they are, uh, do, what is it? The sons of God going into the daughters of man. It's basically talking about them having sexual intercourse. Yeah. How right. do angels have human bodies that they are now able to do that? Right. Uh, how, how does that also like, do we have anywhere in the Bible where they have like the ability to procreate? Right. Right. Um, it just it make it creates a mess of things, right? In some ways, yeah, a little and, Hercules. But yeah, but <laughs> it, it honestly, a lot of a lot of people think that Greek mythology came from this idea. But yeah, okay. But you're right in saying like the Sodom and Gomorrah story. If you don't, if you're not familiar with the Sodom and Gomorrah story, you have, you know, Abraham's cousin or his nephew rather, Lot, and his wife and kids are living in this town, and it had gotten overrun with sin, and the conversation that God has with Abraham is that he's going to destroy the town. Abraham, you know, convinces him, <laughs> convinces God. It's interesting, but he has this like dialogue <laughs> with God about if I finally at least 10 righteous people, you know, will you, will you spare the town? Yeah. And he keeps trying to go down in number. I think he makes it to 10 or whatever. God ends up closing the conversation down. <laughs> um, and basically Sodom's going to be destroyed. And these angels, uh, they come in and they want to uh, save Lot and his family, right? Mm-hmm. And Lot and his family, Lot is okay with it. He's like, let's go. But the rest of his family is not taking it seriously. Yeah. And so the angels finally have to basically like pull his family out of the situation. But there's this like little space and time where the men of the city are so rabidly sexually promiscuous and dark that they're trying to beat the door down to have sex with the angels. Hmm. Gross. And yeah. And so that's where you get this inkling that like, okay, is it, is it plausible that that's what was happening in the story of the flood, that there was this intermingling of, you know, fallen angels, which I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what, what I would say, I believe is not that angels per se went into the daughters of men, but that like fallen angels or demons possessed, possessed men Hmm. and caused them to do evil acts. That would be my contention. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that I I don't know that I'm I've never really like considered that thought, but uh, I think that's possible. Uh, I I definitely do. Uh, so as far as like like you made a comment about like you know would angels like can they take the form of a human body? You know, so like you have in I think about that text in Hebrews thirteen 
where it says you entertain angels unaware. Mm-hmm. And so his premise was that you would show hospitality to everyone because you're, some of you have, inter, have entertained angels. Mm. And so the idea would be that... Well, the, Genesis is full of that too. So right, right. The, the angels that show up to Abraham. Right. Whenever exactly. he's, they're having that conversation, he's making a meal for them. That's when he cuts the covenant. Right. Also, whenever he, the angels tell him that he's going to have a son and Sarah laughs. And, right. Like they're all embodied. Right. Taking the form of humans. Right. Yeah, and if you watch the show Supernatural, they definitely do. I mean, that's <laughs> probably the most accurate one out there. Right? That's yeah, that's theological yeah certainty. Yeah. So in the movie Legion, you know, but that brings up another one. We didn't even talk about talking about this, but maybe we should. Is Genesis like the mystery in my opinion of Genesis is Melchizedek? Yeah, for because sure. Because it, because sure. it takes such a prevalent role later oh, yeah, in the yeah. Book of Hebrews, yeah. and it's just like. Yeah, what do I do with this What guy? do you do with Melchizedek and yeah. Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek? I mean, right. yeah. Well, so I think that's a that's a topic for another time. But, yeah, for sure. You know, we, <laughs> yeah, I, I need to get my bearings in place before we oh, start talking man. about that. So a few things to, to, to land on as far as the topic of the flood is, number one, that, that God has promised us that he would never do it again, never mm. flood the whole earth again. Um, and we will not experience his wrath or his judgment in that way ever again. And given us the sign of the covenant in the rainbow yeah. to uh, to remind us of that. And so um, you may see it as hokey or cheesy, um, but believers, you should be encouraged when you see rainbows in the world after it rains. Like that's, that is God's covenant to his people to say, I will not flood the entire earth. I will not wipe out humanity with a flood ever again. Um, and then, and then the, the second thing I think is just to say that um, we see a, a typology of a type and shadow of, of Jesus in this. It's not a perfect example because none of the none of the examples of the Old Testament were perfect as far as their foreshadowing of Jesus. But we saw that that God chose one man to continue the world through. He wiped mm-hmm. out the earth yeah. and restarted it through a one man, a fallen man. So it wasn't Christ, but we look forward to Jesus, who God restarts. Um, the world, his world, the covenant people through, um, and 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 lets them enter into a, a salvation that is offered to them, um, and so we can continue to talk about the nephilim and things like that, and how in the world all that water got here, um, but I think it's time to move on, and so I think we've got a new topic coming up here. Yeah, I <clears throat> I will say like I don't think you can uh, again nail the nephilim, but. <laughs> like yeah. figure out exactly what those what those guys were, the giants or whatever. But uh, okay, there is another story though. Okay, and so you go from Genesis six and you move forward, and in Genesis eleven, you get a, a this is kind of like the last precursor story before you start the patriarchs Abraham, you know, leaving his country and kindred, and it's a story of the Tower of Babel. Hmm. And so I'll frame the I'll frame the story and then maybe talk about the implications of it. I'll, I'll pitch it over to you, Ty. The story goes something like this. Uh, after the flood, because human beings are fallen, even Noah and his, and his family are fallen, you know, the very first thing that happens after the flood with Noah is that Noah gets drunk, you know, and one of his sons ends up like shaming him yeah, uh, because he fell asleep naked in his tent and the other two cover him, which is kind of a, again, it's setting the stage for you get these two sons that do the right thing yeah. and then you get this other, and it's almost like, over and over again, this is going to happen where you get these like two diver- diverging ways yeah. of honor and obedience and righteousness and holiness and then degradation and sin. And, and, and although humanity is lumped into this, this category of all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there's diverting of ways. One is like laying ourselves at the mercy of God mm-hmm. and in right relationship and right standing with him or completely rejecting him. And yeah. so that happens even with Noah's sons. And then they multiply and the earth just becomes populated again with a bunch of sinful, broken, dark human beings. So Genesis 11 tower of Babel is they're all together though. Mm -hmm. Like they're not in different cities. Hmm. There's a ton of people that are all together and they decide, you know what we want to do? We all speak the same language. If we just put our minds to it, we can, we can build this tower to the heavens and then we can basically ascend. And they, they're big, they're creating this ladder where they can create a throne where they can, basically have a face-to-face with God and they can once again like replay Genesis 3 and maybe this time they end up winning Hmm. and the story goes that God has this conversation within himself now we'll get into this in a second about what is happening is he talking to himself he's talking to the heavenly host but he yeah he says let's go down there and confuse their language Hmm. 
because they speak the same language, the Bible says nothing will be impossible to them, meaning they're going to be successful in building this tower, not that they're going to be successful in seeing him face to face and and winning his throne, but that instead they're going to waste their time mm-hmm. doing this and only become more and more evil, right? Yeah. And then he confuses their language. There's a great earthquake, and basically uh, they're scattered over the face of the earth. Yeah. So... What are all the implications in your that you see, Ty, or in your opinion? Like, what's going on there? Why is the story there? Hmm. It seems odd. It seems yeah. it seems weirdly placed. It's like okay, immediately after you just had a a wipeout, you're going to do this again, and then you start with Abraham. Yeah. Well, I I think it's I think you can trace the core sin of this back to the garden, where you have this not not only this idea of pride, but this idea that. God's not going to have any part of your empire. He requires you to have a part of his. And so you have this entire like nation coming together, creating this incredibly giant empire. And they said, let's build a tower so that way we can get to God. In other words, they're echoing their father, Adam and Eve saying, I'm, I'm going to take the throne. I'm going to do it. Uh, and God said, you know, no, <laughs> no, that's not how we, that's not how this works. Uh, you don't get to make decisions. In fact, God even, like in his conversation, says that if they bind together, there's nothing they can't do. And so it's it's not that you know those people binding together would become omnipotent or omniscient. Right. I, I don't think that's what God was getting at. But the point was that uh, they were, in, in some ways, God coming down and messing up their language was an act of mercy. Yeah, much like the exile in Genesis 3. Yes. It's like you think it's an act, it is an act of judgment, of course, that they'd be exiled, but it's also an act of mercy. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. And so, and this is even on a on an unrelated note, just that even the, I, oh, I guess it's somewhat related, but the idea that God doesn't, God redeems things for his glory. So we're told that whenever, uh, whenever Jesus returns that all tribe, nations, and tongues will, yeah. uh, will praise God, uh, I think it's an amazing thing that God doesn't say we'll come together all in one language. Yeah. But as the result of sin was that there are many languages now, not just one. And now all of those languages are going to be used to glorify God. And so he, it's just another story in showing that God's going to take something that was clearly the result of sin, but use it for his glory and our good. Hmm. Um, and I th- so I think that's a beautiful in- uh, implication. Um, but then you, like you kind of mentioned it, you alluded, oh, I actually, you didn't, but, uh, what's interesting about this conversation, and you've actually talked about it in some of your sermons, but um, on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, you see the reversal of Babel. Yeah. Uh, that that really God gives everyone an understanding of his mighty works um, being proclaimed in just one language. They all hear it. Uh, you have upwards of 3,000 people, um, but it's an amazing thing. And, and so like it's the day of Pentecost is really, it's like the end of Babel and the beginning of a new humanity at that point. Yeah. I, I see like old, old and new Testament. I think I've said this before, but you have the old Testament is the new Testament concealed hmm. and the new Testament is the old Testament revealed. Yeah. So you can't really understand Babel apart from really understanding what's happening in the new Testament. Yep. And you can't understand what's happening in the new Testament without understanding what happened at Babel. Yeah. And so I see it as, Okay. You have Genesis where God gives a, a cultural mandate. Go be fruitful, multiply over the face of the earth and, and subdue the earth, uh, have dominion, uh, go. I want you to, to fill the earth. Mm-hmm. Be fruitful, multiply, right? Scatter. And then Tower of Babel is the story of them not doing that, right. just completely neglecting that. And yeah. sin is just becoming more pervasive, and they're just all clumped together. Yep. So then God scatters them. And he scatters them with language. Gives the, he confuses them with language, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to have different... And then kind of scatters them. It's why I believe in Pangea, because it would scatter them all over the earth if it was an earthquake that broke everything up, and you have all these different peoples all over the place. So you're going to do what I told you to do, yeah. right? He, he, he scatters them all. But there's also a, an element of judgment to that. You immediately start with Genesis 12, where God tells Abram, go from your country and kindred. And then he says this, I will multiply you on the face of the earth. Yeah. I've got a people. I'm going to multiply you. Yeah. I'm going to make your name great. Now, we know that, and this is all the seedlings of the gospel, right? Because how's that going to happen? It's going to have to be by the power of God and the grace of God because Abram and his wife can't have kids. So for him to be multiplied and be great, God's going to have to be the one to do it. And that's exactly what he intends. Yeah. Fast forward. 
Jesus comes and he's the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham that through the lineage of Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. Well, Jesus is the great, 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 great grandson of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And then he fulfills the promise of Abraham by dying and rising. And then he's got a a great people that he's going to bring to himself. Right. But Jesus always does what is necessary to fulfill the Old Testament. So he goes back to Genesis, but he restates it in, in my opinion, in the great, in the great commission. He Mm -hmm. says, you need to go be fruitful and multiply. He yeah. says, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's basically telling them to go do, spiritually, newborn Christians, right? Yeah. are going to be born and they're going to go and multiply on the face of the earth. Now, in order to you know, solidify this, he tells his disciples, go and wait in the upper room, right? Until you're endued with power from on high. You're not going to be able to fulfill this commission until what? Until God yep. brings back together that which he had scattered in, in Babel. Yep. So he tells them in Acts chapter 2, they pray, and what happens? They all understand the words of God that are coming from Peter in one language. There's a yeah. unity. And now that promise of, hey, nothing's going to be impossible to them because they all speak one language. That's a bad thing. Now that they're yeah. redeemed, now that they've been born again, now that the Spirit lives in them, it's a good thing that they would all speak one language. Yeah. And I don't think that the, the magnificence of Pentecost is, is predominantly about the gift of tongues as much as it is about the, like, the majesty of the coming together of God's redemptive plan. Yep. The beginning of the church. Yeah. Go. And so, and then you alluded to it, right? Which is you get to the very end of the book and in revelation, it says that that's the final culmination around the throne, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And, and they have this diversity in their nations and languages and all these things. And yet they have a unity. Yep. And that unity is the lamb. And so it's a Babel's an interesting it really is, uh, and I think it, uh, you know, it's it gives the gospel gives a beautiful picture in response to it because you have these people that say, "I will go up to God," and God says, "No," but the gospel says, "I will come down to you." Yes, and you get that later with Jacob's ladder, right? Yes, yes, it's like this this ascending and descending with the angels, you know, that's mm-hmm. happening, and uh, it's like, no, God, God's gonna condescend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, you're not going to be able to climb up to him because you can't. Right. So instead he's going to climb down the ladder. Right. Uh, it's just, an, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. So one of the, the more, I guess not as important points per se, um, any idea what this common language might've been? I'm sure that the Jewish people would say Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. I, and I tend to agree with them. Maybe. I mean, I think they're probably right in that. I don't know though. It's a good question. Yeah. I don't know either. Um, some Sanskrit. Yeah. Some people say that, uh, that like the language. So the gift, you know, when you hear about the gift of tongue, some people say that, you know, they spoke in their own tongue, but they heard it in their own and they heard it in their own. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I don't think I have a formed enough opinion to really give too much thought on it, but, I, I do t- I do tend to think, based on the text, that there was one universal language before Babel, mm-hmm. and that everyone spoke that language. Yeah, and that the creation of languages is is God's doing in Genesis eleven. Um, now, as far as like the original one, if my like I would put my money on Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah. So if you watch Supernatural again, oh boy, it's it would be Enochian. But uh, which what is that like Dothraki? <laughs> is that even a is, thing? Is that a made up one? It's, uh, I think it's it, well, it's based off Enoch, right? So yeah, uh, but it's it's kind of like the angel language. I I've, man, we haven't even talked about Enoch. We have to do Genesis uh, Mysteries Part Three. Oh, man, yeah, we yeah we're gonna have to because we, we didn't Jacob's talk about ladder? Satan. We, what the, come on. <laughs> Satan, you know, so in the Coast Guard, we actually have a ladder we throw off the side of the boat for people to climb out of the water onto the boat. And vice versa, called Jacob's ladder. Well, next time you get on that boat, you better be condescending to be more <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. My work in the Coast Guard is very theological. Ties <laughs> so, so like grab the ladder. I'm not coming down there. That's right. You that's, must raise yourself up right. like Josh Groban. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly right. Uh, I am a big fan of Supernatural, but it is it is not uh, the leading biblical authority. Oh, look, Just, he's walking it back now. Yeah. Listen, I was like, not. don't let your kids. There's a disclaimer on every broadcast now. <laughs> don't let your kids watch what Brendan watches. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I wish that we knew what that language was. That would be that would be fun. But kind of moving to a, a, another point here, and I, I think that this is a pretty simple answer, but the Lord said, let us go down and confound them. Hmm. So confound them, right? Confuse them. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys would agree that this is, I don't want to say a nod because it's not like they're paying 
homage or homage, but there it's it's the same thing we see in in the very in the creation story. Yeah, yeah. Let us make man in our image. I mean, is that so? The Trinity is communing at this point. We would say. That's what I've always thought. Um, I, I've always thought in these these plurality conversations, it's it's the Trinity. Mm-hmm. The other option would be something that the the Old Testament does speak to, which is that God will bring His heavenly host and have conversations with them. So there's mm-hmm. a plausible, and I don't think that in this particular sense, like here, it, it could be either, and it doesn't really change you, theologically what we believe about God and angels. However, I do not think that you could take Genesis chapter two or one or two, but in particular Genesis one twenty six, and say that when he says, let us make man in our image, that angels are there because yeah. that would mean that we were made in the image of angels, which is not true. Yes. Yeah. However, in this case, it could be either. I tend to think it's the Trinity, but that's because I don't know. I, I tend to want to have a consistency across that language. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we'd have to look at the, the, the Hebrew to see that I would imagine the same words are used there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the couple things that we can take from that story is number one, the Lord is fiercely after his own glory. Man yeah. should not attempt to steal that from him right. because uh, he will confound you <laughs> yeah. and has often done um, to, and then like you guys said, I mean, what a beautiful kind of uh, reverse that we see at Pentecost when God through the work of Christ and the Holy spirit sealing in believers looks to go unify us and continues to unify us. Yep. And ultimately, altogether, like you said, in, in, in heaven or in the new heaven and new earth, we will we will feast together yeah. and be one mm-hmm. one mind, one accord, every tribe, nation, and tongue. And maybe this also shows how God being fiercely for his own glory is also for man's good hmm. and how those are interconnected. Yeah. Because it was a good thing that God confused the language at Babylon and that he basically scattered everyone because this this could have led to great tragedy. I mean, think about like if, if people, if, if these, this group of people together were trying to build a tower to the heavens, well, what we know now scientifically, what would that have done to them? It yeah. would destroyed them. Yeah. And eventually this thing could have collapsed. Think about how many people it would have killed. Yeah. Yeah. And so God confounding them in this way and scattering them actually saved them. The other thought is that if they didn't ever scatter on the earth in order to, you know, get more resources that as these people continue to populate, we know what that could have done. It could have led to more murder. It could have led to more crime. It could have led to more famines. It could have led to, as they continue to try and harvest the earth and the same parts of the earth for years and years and years, you know, it's, it's God's grace yeah. that he did this. But I think what it does is it connects for us when God is, when we say God's fiercely after his glory and that he's after man's good, this is the self same pursuit. Yeah. yeah. You know, so kind of transitioning here to another topic. So I was, uh, you know, I was scrolling the Facebook feed the other day, and uh, they're talking about history's greatest rivalries in sports, right? Mm. So you're talking about Magic and, and Bird, Larry Bird, mm. even today, uh, LeBron and Steph, even Jordan and Isaiah back in the day, yeah. Federer, Nadal. But I'm just going to go throw this out here. The greatest rivalry in sports <laughs> history is Dwayne The Rock Johnson versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, All right. We're talking 1998 to 2002. The greatest rivalry rivalry in entertainment, no, maybe, no, no. not sports. Don't you dare. Don't, how dare it's you? It's real to me. It is. It's... Okay, we can't go there. <laughs> you, just, you just threw that over Jordan and Isaiah. Listen, the greatest rivalry, the most electrifying rivalry in all of history right there. So so, <laughs> 1998 to 2002, the Attitude Era of the WWF, which is now the WWE, is the greatest wrestling rival, rivalry, really sports rivalry. Now, I'm a huge fan of both those guys, and, and, you know, Court and I have had debates over the years. We think we've known each other for about 10 years. And I always say... Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the most electrifying man in all of entertainment, and he won't let me have that. It doesn't make any sense. It, it <laughs> makes perfect sense. There's, it, there's nothing in the world that has made more sense <laughs> than Dwayne The Rock Johnson having the superlative as the most electrifying man in all of entertainment. Because it means nothing, it can mean anything. It, yeah. this, no, no. <laughs> you just, the, the fact of the matter is that no one can be named above him in, in all of entertainment to be more electrifying than Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, okay, first of all, no. But, but second of all, how does that then therefore have to equate to that rivalry being the best in sports. Yeah. Listen, I don't make the rules, I just enforce them. <laughs> okay, so, I promise this has a point because in Genesis, we may also see one of the greatest rivalries in the history of 
Olive Entertainment, <laughs> and that Jacob <laughs> throws down with God. That's right? true. And 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 so it it makes you question like, what in the world is happening here? What this man is. So we talk about like we, you know we live in the new, in the new, with the knowledge of the New Testament and we know that James says draw near to God he will draw near to you. Mm-hmm. But this is not the picture that I get when when we are given that promise. You know, you we kind of we sit in our prayers and we sit in our worship times and we're just thinking of this um this overwhelming peace and you know and I think that people will even take it farther than it needs to go with some of those the descriptions of that but we do not think of like fisticuffs yeah. Right. You know, and so somebody just tell me, like, what what is going on here? Well, first of all, I think, you know, the I don't know that I would use the term rival because rival insinuates that you have a chance. <laughs> Listen, you are. OK, <laughs> so, right. so uh, I think really God was wrestling with Jacob the same way that I wrestle with my son, Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I make it look like he wins. But whenever I feel like he's getting a little too proud, I just. I, you know, just choke him out. Just a quick hit to the face, and just real quick. <laughs> Pops I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're gonna have to take that out of the podcast. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's how you get the cops called. That's right. No, but uh, but I this so this is another one of those instances where just like the Tower of Babel, just like the Gospel, it it shows a desire for God to descend to man. Yep. Uh, and I think it's pretty amazing. It, what's even more amazing is that this happens in the dark. This happens at night. I love I love that part because it's, it's all terrifying. It's, first of all. It is, but it's like God's God descended and is just waiting around the corner of a tree and just waiting for Jacob to come. He knows he's going to get him, light him up. But this okay, so this is one of a few what people call theophanies, mm-hmm. yeah, or Christophanies. Because I actually tend to believe that both Melchizedek and in this case is actually Christ, like in his human form taking form in the old Testament and showing up. Yeah. Now I know that there's a lot of people that disagree with that and don't, don't think that's true. And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm open to be wrong about that, but I tend to think through, okay, how is God going to wrestle with Jacob? He's going to have to take human form. How is God going to take human form? If he's not going to take that in the, in the form of Jesus, the God man. Yeah. Also Melchizedek. I, you can't, he's called king of, you know, king of Salem. He's king of righteousness and king of peace is what, Melchizedek means and he shows up and Abraham tithes to him anyway it's really interesting but Jacob's story in my opinion yes Ty it's the it's the condescension right it's it's God's willingness to wrestle with us but I also think it's like when we think about wrestling with God like you said it Brendan we think of it in terms of like emotional or spiritual wrestling Mm -hmm. yeah this can't be that nope and the reason it can't be that is because he Jacob legitimately leaves with a limp yeah, and physical he, limp. Yes, and he legitimately leaves saying, "I have seen God." So, <laughs> it's if, true. yes, <laughs> if we read this story, so I'll just read a little summary real quick. So Jacob gets up to, with his two wives, his servants, his sons, crossed the, the river, and then it says this in verse twenty-three, thirty-two, verse twenty-three. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, and then we cut. So Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him till daybreak. Those two things have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> until All daybreak. All of a sudden, like, they, they don't say that somebody appeared, said, <laughs> are you ready to rumble? Let's go. Like, they're mad at each other. But he was left alone, and because he was alone, he started wrestling and God, an angel. And then, controversially, verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. So what what does this mean? I mean, if we say that this is God, but is God saying I can't, he can't overpower him? Well, so there, um, there, there's a couple things. Uh, so what do you think God's entrance song is to the ring <laughs> whenever he comes in? I don't know. It's hard Jesus to beat the rocks up. or Stone Cold. I mean, they're both pretty good. It's probably a mat. If I the can Hallelujah only imagine. Chorus by the, the better <laughs> question. Messiah. Is do you think that he Some had like crown angels with trumpets <laughs> sitting in the tree, just ready to play the intro music as soon as he jumped around? Laura, li- Laura lift her name on high. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think it now, would you have need been something with a little more bump? Probably a War of Ages song. This is a, that. There it is. We're digressing. Oh, I'm sorry. Just thinking like for who, today. Who's doing the three count? Who's <laughs> you know, who would ref? Yeah. Spirit. The, yeah. Who, yeah. The and Michael also, the archangel. Ooh. They did this until daybreak. That so is true. That's a long wrestling match. You wrestle for three minutes. I'm <laughs> sweating. I just remember <laughs> sweating uh, thinking about it. Our men's retreats. 
Yes. When like our, the grown men of the church would wrestle each other, and then well, some of them would that's go a to loose their, term. Grown men. Yeah. It's Donovan and Grant. <laughs> well, remember the Oscar wrestled uh, like Morgan Gantz at one point, but uh, some of those men, after wrestling on our men's retreat, would go to their bunks sick. Like they would literally be sick. Like yes. their bodies would be drained of so much energy that they couldn't function. And that was like, like you said, a three-minute match. Like it, yeah. we're talking about wrestling with a guy till daybreak. There's so many things going on here. That's why the story, Jacob's life, is so intriguing, in my opinion. So you have he's he's, you didn't say this, but he's sending his wife ahead and his because he's about to meet up with Esau, whom he stole his birthright, mm-hmm. and he's terrified to meet up with Esau. Yeah. He's been living with his uncle Laban, who's been cheating him for years, yeah. and 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 basically like just being. Almost as much of a cheat as Jacob is himself, and that's <laughs> that's what happens from this, right? Like what comes out of the wrestling is that Jacob becomes Israel. That's mm-hmm. his name. He gets a name change. Yep. So there's so much happening with this wrestling with God situation. It's like he his his identity, the, the struggle that he's having with identity in relation to his brother and his father and the blessing that he stole and yep. his uncle is all coming to a head as he's alone on one side of the river. It's it's all personified, right? It's like yep. he's by himself alone in the dark, and guess what? God shows up right. and says, let's have a, it doesn't say anything apparently, just that <laughs> just starts wrestling. wrestles him. But I, I think, it, what can you take from that? I mean, there's spiritual lessons, right? Which is, well, you, I don't even know if you mentioned these. We talked about it a little before we started recording, but just wrestling with, with God is an essential part of the Christian faith, yeah. which is that we don't just merely... Um, internalize or just kind of try to stuff the feelings that we have towards injustice, towards why things aren't going right in our lives or our own internal struggles and anxieties. But we bring those to God and that sometimes that looks a lot more like a wrestling match than it does look like, you know, coffee and, uh, you know, Oswald Chambers devotional. So, I mean, when it says here, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, is that, is that for us to take as, okay, he wouldn't submit, you know, his spirit, Jacob's, uh, you know, he wouldn't come on his own. And so God said, "Okay, bam, touched his touched his hip. Said, this is how we're going to do it. Is that is that how we're, we are supposed to interpret this, or, or, or what would y'all say to that?" Well, I think because you see uh, Jacob say, "I I saw God." Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he, the only reason why he was able to see that is because of the because of that interaction. It, like he needed to come to that on his own. Court, you talked about self discovery on Sunday. Yeah, and I think that's what you see here, uh, where. Jacob, just like the Tower of Babel, you know, thought that he could, he could ascend to that level. Hmm. Cannot, and God reminds him of that. And uh, I think that's really important. In, in fact, I, I love the statement that he says when when he says, "I'm not leaving until you bless me." Like that's a first of all, that's a crazy statement. That has so many implications. Yep. I mean, because he he left with a limp, so he assumed that the limp was the blessing. That, that that that's a crazy thought to think about. Yeah. And you know, it's it's this idea that that we don't that we persist in pursuing God and don't give up until he has given us uh wisdom or peace or contentment or victory over sin uh, that we're seeking. Uh, uh we grow in relationship with the Lord whenever we bring our questions and our doubts to him. Um I mean, we won't at least hopefully we're not literally wrestling like Jacob did God <laughs> in our living room. Um but we wrestle with God in prayer, uh, we, uh, and we talk to him with our questions and concerns. We wrestle him, uh, with him in, uh, in his word, uh, where we're seeking to find truth that would apply to our lives. Uh, we wrestle with, with him through wise counsel uh, with other pastors and leaders. Um, when we hear the preached word, read books, articles that are convicting or uh, challenging, we wrestle with God then. Um, but that's the, that's the idea. The idea is that we want... God, we want to fiercely pursue uh, your will for our lives, and we're not going to leave or stop until we find it. Um, but there's a, you know, there's a difference between wrestling with God, which I think is healthy uh, and good for the believer, and, rest, and wrestling against God, yeah. uh, or worse, not wrestling at all. Yeah, it, it underscores like something that I said on Sunday, but I got it actually from Tim Keller where he talks about the home being a relationship not a place Hmm. and this underscores the the desire from god for relationship with us Mm -hmm. 
and that Jacob needed to wrestle with God about these things so that he didn't continue, like you said, trying to do all this on his own. Like yep. he's going to fix all these problems that he's created. Yep. But one thing that is, I think, I think it's mentioned in Exodus, but you know, the children of Israel would not eat the hip socket of the Passover lamb because mm. of this story. Yeah. Okay. It's right there in Genesis too. Yeah. So I think that what's being done there in the Bible is to bring us we're being reminded of us being sheep and God being our shepherd. Mm-hmm. And Psalm 23 tells us he makes us lie down in green pastures. You know, uh, many pastors have talked about John 10, Jesus saying he's the good shepherd and, and used the analogy that at times a shepherd will break the sheep's leg Ugh. in order that that sheep would basically carry, they'll carry the sheep over the shoulder, but they break it, the shepherd would break its leg so that it wouldn't run away. Yeah. From him, because because sometimes sheep don't have their best interest at heart, even though they think they do. Yeah, and like the the hip socket moment, almost like Jacob, you don't know what's good for you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're not gonna run. He continued to he ran from his family. He kept running from Esau, and God basically says you're not gonna run anymore. Yep, you'll always limp. And the reason that that's a grace is because he won't run from God. Yeah, and that and I think that's what you were trying to get at is like. There's a lot of spiritual implication to that idea that he, the grace was in the limp. Yes. Hmm. And yep. what does that mean for us in suffering and in hardship? Yeah. It's like a, like when David in Psalm 51 says, let the bones you have broken rejoice. Yes. Yeah. And that's tough to write. You know, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, that's easy for you to say, you don't know what my limp is. You know, that's true. We like, we don't, but every, I think everyone has to wrestle with God about that. What yeah. is it that God has maybe potentially given you that is for your good even if it's uncomfortable even if it's right you know that right. he has consigned to that right and i i just there are just going to be some things that that just can't be explained on the side of heaven and i think that's mm-hmm. okay um it that doesn't make it easier uh but i do think that that's true that there're just going to be some things that like right now it seems like uh it's a you're in a terrible circumstance, but you're going to get on the other side of heaven, or you may even get a year from now, two years from now, and you're going to say it couldn't happen any other way. I mean, you take Ty in that first night of boot camp, I would have told you that was the worst decision of my life. Yeah. Uh, but I look back on it now, and it could not have happened any other way. I'm a different person. God used my rebellion to bring me to himself. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think everyone knows that at some level, at least theoretically, some from experience, but the more you raise the bar on suffering, the harder it is to grapple with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, there's a difference between, Hey, we're, we're going to miss a paycheck. Yeah. The, and my child is terminally sick. Hmm. You know, those are different levels of suffering and, and to, to try and equate that to, to Jacob here and say, see, God just making you walk with a limp because you could potentially, or have lost a child. Man, that's tough to wrestle with. But I yeah. do think that the story is an invitation to wrestle with God about it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's where it's like, why is it important that Jacob was alone on that side of the river? Because human beings cannot explain suffering away. You have to wrestle with God and come away with a new name, a new identity. Yeah. That's the only way. Yes. By his grace that he imparts to us this, this faith and this peace in the midst of suffering, only God can give that. Yes. And, and, he, and Jacob had to be by himself. Mm-hmm. And so it's true of us too, and maybe, maybe there's some like timeliness in that, even with this this quarantine. Interesting is that it it, it forces us to be alone more, which I, I do not think isolation for long periods of time. There's a reason, you know, we do that to prisoners, you know, to yeah. to punish them. It's not good, yeah. but I do think that Jesus went God alone a lot because there is redemptive quality about silence and solitude, namely that we can wrestle with God about some things. Yeah, and. I kind of mentioned it earlier, but wrestling with God uh, and not against God, which uh, against God would say that God, it, you know, it would echo Adam and Eve. It would it would echo, God, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to wrestle against you. I clearly can win. And it's usually like in those moments where if you can't have humility, you're going to be humiliated uh, like Jacob was. You know, he thought he could win. He pokes his hip. Tower of Babel thinks we can, they think we can be this, build this tower all the way up. God destroys it. Um, Adam and Eve think that they can get the knowledge of good and evil and live and be God, take the throne, and they're cast out of the garden. Uh, the, you know, even if you choose to believe that 
Satan was a powerful angel in God's kingdom, and God he was cast out. It's the same thing. But even Jacob's like wrestling, you get the feel, and the text says his intention in wrestling with this man who he found out was God was to gain blessing. So he mm. recognized you have what I don't have. Right. Mm. You have what I need. Yep. It wasn't I'm wrestling to to be you, that's Adam and Eve, right? Or yep. to take your throne or to kill you. Like that would be Satan. Satan's desire is to destroy, still kill and destroy. Yeah. And therefore he has that aim towards God. But Jacob's was like, I know you, I know you at some level have what I need. Yeah, at some point he acknowledged it. Yeah, so it's again, it's a relationship. And I think that's what you're getting at, wrestling against God versus wrestling with him. Yeah, and or even, in, like I said earlier, worse, not wrestling at all. And that's a tough one because I think a lot of people avoid that, avoid the wrestling. And, and I think it's we don't wrestle because we know it's going to cost us. That I think it's a majority, of, a, a big reason why a majority of people have a hard time with Christianity. It's not because, like, like you cannot convince me that people do not want uh, the truths of the scriptures, the truths of Christianity to be real. I, even at its base level, you probably want it to be real. And there's no way. I mean, there's there's this incredible view of of interaction with God, heaven, eternity with peace, no suffering. Like you can't say that you don't want that. Everybody wants that. Uh, but I think the reason why people don't want don't believe it or trust it is because they don't want to have they don't want it to cost them anything. Hmm. And I think that's why people don't wrestle with God or bring something to Him uh, because they don't they know it's going to cost them. Uh, they know that they might walk away with a limp, uh, but Here's the deal. If you choose not to wrestle with things you're uh, you're struggling with, you end up like Adam and Eve. Yes. Adam. So the serpent brings these things before Adam and Eve. You know, God's holding out on you, and then instead of wrestling, they just give in. They don't wrestle at all, and they're just blown by the wind of what's ever brought before them. Hmm. And uh, I think it's important, but we need to remember that you know God is uh, God doesn't promise this kind of safety from uh, from God's not going to hurt you, but there may be things done that don't feel good, and it ends up in your good. I mean, working out, you the only way you get stronger is by breaking down muscles through the process of working out. And like it reminds me of uh, in the uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, uh, Susan meet, meeting Aslan, her reservations about it, where she asks uh, if she wanted to know if Aslan was safe. And uh, Mr. Beaver, he says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't. But he is good. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. That's that's I think wrestling is important because God is good. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's safe. Yeah. And I think maybe. Uh, maybe something to consider is, do you think that you can circumvent the limp by not wrestling? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, yeah. You know, that's sometimes I think why we we hide away is because we know that suffering is painful. But we think that by avoiding the wrestling, by avoiding the confronting of that, that we could somehow circumvent the suffering and, and the suffering is coming for us, right? Like if you live in this fallen world then suffering's going to come, yeah. the question is, will that limp come from the hand, you know, it's from the hand of God in a, in a, in relationship with wrestling with him about that, which I think brought Jacob great peace to be Israel, you know, mm-hmm. or will you have great bitterness and resentment and defiance toward God because you just aren't sure that the suffering that you have gotten or the hand that you have been dealt came from him because you weren't willing to even wrestle with it in the first place. Yeah, and you and taking God out of the equation doesn't solve the problem at all. Like if you, if you think that God is not real because of suffering, it doesn't actually make things better. It actually makes them worse. It provides zero hope, zero solution. You're just forced to deal with this empty suffering nothingness. And also like just as a side note, like it's very difficult to blame God for suffering when He chose to suffer Himself. Yeah, I mean that's uh, well, another whole other podcast. But the idea of suffering at the heart of the Christian faith is the you know, headline is Christ being our suffering servant. Yeah. Yes. And and also the idea of justice. The only time that there was ever an in like there was ever a man that was unjustly suffering, it was Christ. Yeah. And it yes. was for all of our comfort. Yeah. That's why, like Second Corinthians, you know, one where Paul talks about God being the God of all comfort. Yeah. Only in Christ can God be the God of all comfort because of Christ's high priestly role that He plays. Yeah. 
Well, guys, we had another topic to get to, but because we pretty much decided mid-podcast that we needed to do a part three, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, and delay that till part three. So we'll probably we'll talk about Enoch. We'll talk about the uh, Joseph and, and the famine and in Melchizedek. Egypt. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Uh, Satan. Ja- Satan. Jacob's Ladder. I'm trying to get all those things. Um, hopefully, we don't have to do a part four, but we may. We'll see. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Provcast. Uh, and like we said, we're going to be bringing these to you every week during our uh, COVID-19 quarantine. And these episodes will drop every Wednesday morning. So be sure to check them out. Share them with your friends. Uh, let us know uh, what you thought about them. We'd love to hear your feedback on them as well. Um, and so I'm going to leave you with our benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Stay at home right now and share the love of God that's been shown to you. We'll see you next week.